So I am so thankful to be here and kind of finish up our teaching on Proverbs. Um, have you been enjoying this teaching? Yeah? Man, I have absolutely enjoyed this. Uh, I really enjoyed talking about our words over the last few weeks um, and just making sure that we are able to speak correctly, that we're able to speak life into our families and our relationships. Um, I, I've really enjoyed this series. I hope that you have too. Um, sounds like you guys have, so. And you're still here. It's been a while, so. <laughs> so tonight, um, the goal for tonight's message is for us to understand the promises, the warnings, and the responsibilities that we have regarding our wealth, okay? And I want us to walk uh, away with an understanding of how to live a generous lifestyle, and I want you guys to walk away with practical application regarding that generosity. And I hope that we can understand what Scripture teaches us about being a generous person, and maybe we'll even learn something. So, uh, so tonight, I want us to start out in a passage real quick here. Um, we're not going to start in Proverbs. We're actually going to start in 2 Corinthians. Um, I know it's a Proverbs class, but... We're going to jump into that. Uh, and the reason I want to read 2 Corinthians is because it gives us a good depiction of what a generous heart looks like. So if you will, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and we're going to start in verse 6. It says, The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one of us must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things, at all times you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, and he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever." He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is overflowing with many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from the confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Amen. That's right. God's inexpressible gift. I love that last part. I, I just, I, I like this verse because it really gives a good depiction of what the attitude of generosity is. You know, it, the part on where it just says, hey, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. And you have to have that, not reluctantly, but also not under compulsion. We don't need to be driven by our emotions. We don't need to have this wonderful speech and uh, hear crying children in front of us all about how uh, we need to give everything that we have. It's not under compulsion, but it is 
under the generosity that God has given to us. You know, I am, you may agree with me, I believe that I am lucky to be part of a generous church. You know, we have so many members that uh, volunteer their time. I am very blessed to be part of Hope's Thrift Center, uh, where we have hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of time that gets put into that place. People have given generously with their money in so many different ways. And this church has thrived on generosity. It's thrived on uh, everyday people. You know, and that's, that's an incredible thing. Many of you in this room have been faithful throughout the years in your giving and in your generosity. And I just want to say thank you. I really do. I'm sure that as we go through scripture tonight, you'll recognize some of the value that comes with having a generous lifestyle. And scripture gives us great teaching regarding how we use our wealth. Maybe you're sitting in this room saying to yourself, I would never describe myself as wealthy. Maybe you relate more with a poor person in in Proverbs, and, and that's okay. Scripture gives us instruction no matter where we find ourselves on the wealthy scale. Scripture gives promises and responsibilities to both the poor and the rich in Proverbs. Now, when I think of somebody that's rich, I think of millionaires sitting on uh, the beach in their mansions, drinking tea on a sunset, you know, lavish lifestyle uh, with little worry and a picturesque life. You know, it's great. It's wonderful. That's a rich person. In reality, I'm rich. In reality, most of us in the room if not all of us, are rich. We live in a country that has an exuberant amount of resources. Now, I read an article online that was talking about uh, our ideas on being rich, and I just want to read it to you guys here. In 2003, Gallup found that although only 2% of Americans describe themselves as rich, 31% say they thought it was very or somewhat likely that they would be rich one day. That number jumped to 51% for 18 to 29-year-olds. Okay? Now listen to this. It plunged to a sobering 8% for Americans 65 and older. (laughs) Life hit quick. According to Gallup, the public's median definition of rich was an income of $120,000 or assets equaling $1 million. And the majority of MSN readers felt that they would need at least $5 million to consider themselves rich. We may not consider ourselves rich, but next to the most of the world, we're doing pretty well for ourselves, okay? During my study, I found that uh, the federal poverty line for a single person under the age of 65 was $11,770. And so I took that number uh, and put it into the global wealth ranking, okay? And a person with the annual income of $11,770 is in the top 15% on the wealthy scale meaning that they are richer than 85% of the world. Now, my goal tonight is not to make us feel bad for having money and resources. 
That's not the goal. I hope that's not what you take away from tonight. Because uh, I think that God has given us and has blessed us with so many things. But I just want to make mention of that because most of us will fall into the rich category of Proverbs. So, first off, we're going to go over a couple of terms here. And I want to talk about generosity. Uh, Generosity is not a single action. It's an attitude. It's a way of life. It's a lifestyle. It's a way of going about your conversations. It's a way of going about your day. It's not a single action. It's so much deeper. A generous person is described as open-handed, liberal in giving, and characterized by a noble or kindly spirit. Generosity has less to do with our money and more to do with our heart. Proverbs describes two different people that we'll be talking about tonight. As you probably have guessed, the rich and the poor. Now, being rich does not always have to do with wealth. Being rich just means that you have an excess amount of a resource or having a large amount of something that is wanted or needed. Scripture gives us some really great observations regarding the rich and poor. Now, these observations are not necessarily endorsing them as appropriate attitudes, but more just describes how our world currently operates. So I'm going to jump to chapter 14, verse 20. Uh, I'm going to... We're going to be jumping around a lot tonight, so hopefully you can keep up. Chapter 14, verse 20. The poor is disliked even by his neighbor, but the rich has many friends. In chapter 19, 4, it says, Wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friend. 19, uh, 6 and 7. Many seek the favor of a generous man, and everyone is a friend to a man who gives gifts. All a poor man's brothers hate him. How much more do his friends go far from him? He pursues them with words, but does not have them. In 1823, it says, The poor use entreaties, or earnest or humble requests, but the rich answer roughly. And lastly, in chapter 10, verse 15, says, A rich man's wealth is his strong city. The poverty of the poor is their ruin. Now, I want us to take a moment and think about our own reactions to the poor. Have you found yourself treating people the way that Proverbs describes? You know, these verses are just describing our culture's attitude or our natural response towards the poor or those in poverty. So, to summarize real quickly a few things that are common here. Uh, the poor are disliked or hated by all. Number two, they are lower on the social totem pole. And number three, they are deserted by their friends. What was interesting in one part of this, in 19.4, says, Wealth brings many new friends, plural, but a poor man is deserted by his friend. Singular. The one thing that he has, guess what? His poverty has created the situation where another friend is leaving. And that's our natural response. Even though we may be their only friend, we still want to avoid. 
The rich, number one, are befriended by many. Number two, higher on the social scales. Number three, sought after for their gifts. They have a number four, though. They put their confidence in their wealth. And maybe we relate with that. Put our confidence in our wealth, in our thing, in, our, in, our, in the stuff that we have. We walk around with it like a, a badge. Poverty impacts on many levels. Uh, poverty impacts socially, it impacts financially, and it impacts relationally. And the rich generally rule over the poor, both socially and financially. Uh, and as we'll see later, uh, the rich are given more responsibility in their response to the poor. And Proverbs calls us to a higher standard than the natural, common response. Our natural response is avoidance, desertion, and hatred. That's our natural response to this. So take a moment, if you will, uh, would you think of a few people, don't write them down, don't tell your neighbor, think of a few people uh, in your life who would be considered poor. These are people who are avoided, they are rejected, they fit into these categories. Can you think of people like that? They're lower on the social totem score totem pole. What are our reactions to them? Are we actively reaching out to them? Are we trying to improve their life? Have we been given opportunities to impact them in a positive, life-giving way? Or have we created a bubble around us to keep us away from these things? And I hope that we just think about those questions as we continue to talk about poverty in our culture, because it's a reality. It really is. It's a reality, and it doesn't always describe our wealth. So we know who the poor are. We know some of the natural responses of the rich, uh, but Proverbs goes deeper than just our reactions. Proverbs talks about poverty. It lays out some of the common pitfalls that lead people into poverty. These are things that will impact us whether we're rich or poor. These things if we are poor, can keep us trapped in the same state of poverty and reduce our hope in life. They're like vines reaching out and ensnaring us in our own desires. And hopefully these verses uh, should act like bright warning signs for us to avoid. I have eight causes of poverty, and the first one here is love of sleep. Proverbs warns against the love of sleep. Uh, it says, a little, slum a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands, and rest and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. I, I really enjoy the contrast in that verse. It's calming reading the first part. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands. And I think of somebody just sitting down, legs crossed, and okay. And poverty will come upon you like a robber. <laughs> And that's, the, that's the, the point of that verse. It wants you to wake up. God is not simply saying that we should sleep our day away. We don't look for comfort in everything. Our lives are not meant for just comfort. We are to be people of action, and we have a huge role in this world. And if we just sleep our day away, we'll ripple away into nothing. Okay? Number two is hastiness. 
A stingy man hastens after wealth and does not know that poverty will come upon him. That is a word for our culture today. We are all about doing things as quickly as possible. We have a culture of busy. Maybe you can relate with me. Uh, Culture tells us that a, a busy life is the best life. And there's so many times, that I mean, even as I'm, I'm talking to people and meeting them and going up to people in the entryway, uh, doesn't matter what age they are, uh, that's kind of just this, the general response. I ask them how you're doing, and they say, man, I've been, I've been so busy. It's crazy. I haven't had time for anything in my life. Why? <laughs> when we're too busy, we can forget that God is moving in the little moments. He's moving in our inconveniences. He's trying to interrupt our busy lives to make a difference in the lives of those around us. How can God use us if we're too busy to stop and think about why God put us in this moment? Why are we talking to this person? Do we have a reason for being here or are we too busy to notice what's going on? The third area that can cause poverty is a love of pleasure. It says, whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. Proverbs is just saying to be careful what you're spending your riches on. Be careful not to fall into this trap of pleasures. Of course, Longhorn Steakhouse tastes better than Qdoba, right? I hope you'd agree with me. But having Longhorn every night is not going to look good on our monthly budget, right? We need, well, maybe for some of you, you won't notice, but (laughs) we need to be good stewards of our wealth, and we don't need to follow after every pleasure that we find. The fourth one, drunkenness and gluttony. And I think this one's interesting because these two things are singled out. I, I would consider them to be pleasures, but I think that they are also addictions, they are things that will steal away our time. They create an illusion of pleasure. And addiction will m- manipulate its way into our life, causing us to believe that all we need to survive is that particular addiction. Sin slowly corrupts our mind into believing the opposite is true. The fifth one is a lack of diligence. Proverbs calls us a slack hand in some versions. It's the person who is lazy. It's not just slumber. It's not doing anything. This person's not willing to stay the course. They give up easily. They're willing to be diligent in their work. Uh, They're not willing to be diligent in their work. It's like the person who goes to the gym but only goes for pizza Fridays in order to stave off poverty. We need to work diligently working towards a goal. We must be willing to spend time and resources on true godly action. The sixth one is ignoring instruction, and we've talked about this in, already in the series. Uh, Proverbs warns of ignoring instruction in a bunch of different areas, and this is the key warning for us today, not to ignore the instruction of Scripture. This verse says that not only poverty will come to the person who ignores instruction, but disgrace. And sometimes in our culture, we don't have a, a good concept of what disgrace means, but it's definitely not a good thing. The opposite says that 
Later in the verse, it says that it goes on, whoever heeds reproof will be honored. The seventh one is all talk, no action. Have you met people like this? I, I haven't, we've all probably met people like this, and they say they will do this or that, they're full of promises and talk a big game, but in the end have zero action, zero follow through, they're all talk, no action, they have a big bark, but no bite. They are tiny dogs in this world. And number eight, follows worthless pursuits. This verse compares someone who works hard to, works very hard, and someone who follows worthless pursuits. It means that someone who's not focused, who is, not, who is prone to finding the next best thing, that person can start down this path of poverty. And we live in a culture that is all about the next best thing. We're constantly searching for it, and it fuels our materialistic culture. Now, this list is by no means exhaustive. Uh, there are other ways you can become victim to poverty. But these are just some of the common traps that the writer of Proverbs saw people falling into. So we know, we know what poverty looks like. We know some of our inclinations and uh, some of the causes of poverty. But our, our next question that we need to be asking ourselves is what our responsibility is regarding the poverty of our time. Right? What does Scripture say should be my response to poverty and the poor? Well, I hope that we would have a different mindset. I think that, uh, first off, the, the poor and the rich are both created by God. However, we have a tendency to create labels in our mind, and sometimes our labels will demonize entire groups of people. Now, in chapter 22, verse 2, it says this. The rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is maker of them all. And in 29, 13, it says, The poor man and the oppressor meet together. The Lord gives light to the eyes of both. So what, what do those verses mean? It means that God sees us on equal ground. We should treat each other as equals. God is calling us to break the social norms of our society because the natural response is to avoid individuals who are poor. Our natural response is to cling to those who are rich. And we must recognize the beautiful creation that God has before us. God crafted and knitted that person together. He put his own image into that person. God sees a great deal of potential in that person even if that person is not following God. Even if that person is actively disregarding God, that person is still God's creation, a work of his hand, and God has a plan for that person, a purpose for their existence, and God has thought deeply about that person, and he sees value in who they are, and I think we should too. God's response to poverty and the poor is our generosity. You, know, you never know. You never know if there will be a time in your life where you may need to be on the receiving end of generosity. As some of you may know, my life has been dramatically impacted by the generosity of other people. Many of you know about uh, me going through cancer during my ca college years. 
But what you might not know is how the generosity of other people catapulted my faith in God. See, during that tough time in my life, uh, I could pretty quickly relate with a poor person, you know, probably dealing with self-doubt and uh, probably a little depression. Uh, It was a tough time. But it was during those times when God reminded me of his faithfulness through the generosity of other people. You know, it was incredible how people wrapped their arms around my family. Throughout that year and a half, we would get cards from people I've never met. Okay? They would have uh, gas cards uh, that would help us get to and from the hospital. Uh, and now, chemo and doctors, that takes a lot of time. You know, it's, it's, it takes a ton of time. But I wasn't able to drive myself around for a lot of it, okay? So my mom had to kind of take me around to most of my appointments. And one of the most profound acts of generosity was actually through some of my mom's coworkers. When they saw that my mom had to take so much time off, they were willing to give a bunch of their PTO to my mom so that she didn't have to lose out on any income. These are (laughs) non-Christians. I mean, they were the ones that kind of wrapped us in their arms. They took care of my mom, and they they did so much for us. Generosity also came in other forms, though. We We had the family, if you remember, who opened up their home to us whenever we were in town. They would take us out to eat, provide dinners, and good conversation. Now, like I said, generosity comes in many forms. Good conversation at the right time can soothe someone's soul. It was so comforting to have someone help and just listen and walk through that trial with my family. It's fascinating how God uses the simple actions of other people to showcase his love for us. He uses the generosity of other people to tell us how much he cares. Going through that time in my life dramatically altered my perception of God. It changed the way I approached God and it taught me how to have faith. It taught me how to trust in him. I think Proverbs put together a few different attributes of what would be described as a generous person. The first attribute that I want to talk about is that a generous person has a bountiful eye. What does it mean to have a bountiful eye? It means that we don't see the world through a scarcity mindset. We don't see things in terms of limited resources because we serve a God who is creator of the heavens. He has given us everything we own. He's provided for our every need and he's been with us through trials, hardships, and tough times. And we need to see God and our resources with bountiful eyes. They're not limited. We know that God has given us everything so we're able to bless those around us. We're able to reach out with our money, our time, and our talents to help the poor and the needy. We have enough. We're satisfied because God is in control. We trust that he will continue to provide for each and every need. So we give with a bountiful eye. Number two is a bountiful, generous person will share in their portion with others. It's the whole idea of generosity. It's this giving aspect. Uh, It's the basic staple of a generous person. You can't be generous without the act of giving. 
It's just part of the, part of the deal here. Uh, one thing to note, though, uh, is the attitude of a generous person. And for a number of years, there's been a popular preachers who has taught this concept of generosity. But it became twisted. They always put it in terms of giving more. If you give God $10, he'll give you back 100 If you give God $100, he'll give you back 1000 It was all about giving more to get more. That's not an accurate teaching of what generosity is. A generous person will generally only think of this portion. They'll only think of the, how much I can give. What can I give? It's not about what I can get in this. It's not a transaction, okay? It's not a genie situation here. It's not a get-rich-quick scheme, however you want to put it. Generosity is about people. It's about love. It's about helping someone else. We're not thinking about our, ourselves when we give out of generosity. It's not about what we get in return. Although that may be a byproduct at some point, but it doesn't, it's not a guarantee. It's not a genie situation. It's, it's not about that. It's about other people. The third attribute is that a generous person will walk in integrity. Now, this is a calling to both the rich and the poor person. We are still called to hold our integrity intact. The verse is saying that it would be better to be poor than to lose your integrity. It would be better to be poor than to walk in crooked ways. And we're called to live a life of integrity. The generous person will walk in integrity. The fourth one is that a generous person has understanding. And just as before, the generous person will, uh, will have understanding. The scripture says this, a rich man is wise in his own eyes, but a, rich, but a poor man who has understanding will find him out. We must be wise in our dealings with other people. A generous person will reach out in compassion and mercy. They'll reach out because they have compassion on people. And we have to be weary of being blinded by our own wealth. The fifth one is that they defend the rights of the poor and needy. This is where we need to go beyond the action of generosity. We have the option of saying, here's some money, here's whatever you need, a little thing to keep you going, uh, now go take care of yourself. You know, that's the action of generosity, but that's not entirely what we're called to do. We're called to do more than just give. Generosity walks through the trials of, with people. It says, I'll stand with you, and I'll defend you when you can't. And a gener generous person stands up for what is right, even when the rest of culture stands against them. And the sixth one I think this one is really important, is that a generous person stewards his resources. This verse is in, in chapter 6, 1 through 5. Uh, it's important because I think we tend to gravitate towards extremes at times. Uh, sometimes when we give, we give and give and give and give. I see this a lot in time. We give so much of our time to all these things that we end up burning ourselves out. Right? It's, a, it's a poor stewardship of our time. And we can do that in our wealth and a lot of other different areas. And these verses serve as a warning to not go overboard in our generosity. They help us to remind us that we're given time, we're given financial means, and we're given talents for a purpose. 
And God has a plan, and we need to stay in those bounds. Generosity is a good thing, but stewardship is also a good thing. And the last one uh, that helps to keep us grounded is that a generous person is thankful. Generous, generosity motivates people to thankfulness. It helps us see the hand of God working in our life, and it causes people who are receiving the generosity to be thankful to God. It's a witness, and it, it changes people's lives. Generosity is an interesting thing because it's, it's a promise to us, uh, and God rewards us for our generosity. In Proverbs 28, 27, it says, Whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. And in 1917, it says, Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. And in Proverbs 28, 8, it says, Whoever multiplies his wealth by interest and profit gathers it for him who is generous to the poor. These verses help us to unravel what the world says about wealth. They offer insight into how the kingdom of God operates. Our world operates on a monopoly set of rules. It's cutthroat, it's harsh at times, and it's competitive. Giving our, our resources away is, it seems like the opposite of what is right. And we have a tendency to hoard and grab for power and wealth. But God's saying here he rewards generosity. He thinks it's a good thing. And God looks at the acts of generosity and considers them to be done unto himself. And he repays those good deeds. He says a generous person will not want. The last verse goes even farther though. It's saying that those who oppress and gain wealth on the backs of the poor only gather it for those who are generous. That's a backward kingdom principle. This person is hoarding wealth, hoarding wealth, hoarding wealth, using other people to get it. And God's like, you don't deserve that. I'm going to give it to the generous person because he stewards my resources well. Because he's giving all the time. He's thinking about other people. So we're going to take it from here to over here. God rewards a generous heart, but he warns us against ignoring the poor. In Proverbs 21, 13, it says, Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. And in chapter 22, 16, it says, Whoever oppresses the poor to increase his own wealth or gives to the rich will only come to poverty. And the last verse, Whoever mocks the poor insults his maker he who is glad at calamity will not go unpunished. And each one of these, is, these verses is a warning to the rich, to those who would do harm to the poor, and it serves as a reminder that God cares for each and every one of us no matter what our circumstances look like. And if you remember in 2 Corinthians, God has given us an inexpressible gift. He sent his son down for us. He died for us while we were poor. He died for us while we were worthless. He cared for us and gave us the best gift ever. So as we close for tonight, I hope that we'll remember how God thinks about those who are less fortunate than us. I hope that we'll remember how much he cares. And 
I can't help but imagine if the church were a true model of generosity, uh, not just in our finances, but in our time, our talents, our encouragement, it would be such a huge witness to our workplaces, to our families, and even our enemies. It would remind them of the creator of the universe and how God has provided for every need. It would provoke us to thankfulness and, continue, and to continue the work of compassionate love. I hope that we remember each and every day that generosity showcases the love of God. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going we're to go ahead and end. Father God, we just praise you and we thank you for today. We thank you for how generous you have been with us. Thank you for providing resources, for allowing us to be in this world. I I just pray that we take our opportunities, we take uh, the things that you have given us to be able to be a blessing to those around us. I pray that we would steward our resources well. I pray that we would uh, move into new things with you, God. I pray that you would open up opportunities for us to witness to people around, uh, around us, that they would come to church, that we get saved at these altars, Lord. God, I pray that we would use our time wisely, that we would uh, just come around people in the middle of their trials, come around people in the middle of their circumstances and surround them with the love that you have given us, God. And we just pray that generosity continues to be a staple of this church, continues to be a staple in our hearts, and that we would continue to learn more about you as we walk through our everyday circumstances. So God, we just praise you and we thank you, uh, and we ask that you just continue to be with us throughout our week, and it's in your name, amen. Have a nice night, guys.